This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Don, a uh, story that came out, and I'm just pulling it up today because I'm uh, pulling it up right now as we're chatting. Um, this one, this one is, sh- I don't know if I should say it's shocking. Nothing is really shocking to me anymore in the world of sports. But Bryce Harper, you know, the baseball player for the Washington Nationals, great young player. He's going to be a free agent two years from now. He'll still be 26 years old. He came in very young into Major League Baseball because he was he's a talented guy. He's a really good player, really talented player. He has... I don't want to say dropped a hint. He's made it pretty darn clear through his agent what he is expecting in contract demands when he becomes a free agent a couple of years from now. Any guess what what per year he'd be looking for? Having the disadvantage of not knowing the questions, as I always say before we That's started. That's why I'm asking. You Take a wild a computer guess. in front of you, I would say 15 to $20 million a year. $40 million plus a year he's looking for over 10 years. He is looking for a contract that will exceed $400 million U.S. I know the kid. Well, they're estimating he's going to be the first half-billion-dollar well, baseball come close. player. Now, the Washington Nationals, which I'd is... I'd say just give the guy the team. Well, and this is the thing. The Washington Nationals, which are one of the wealthy teams in Major League Baseball, they are. They spend a lot of money. They're saying, no chance. No chance. Now, they're saying that now because they've got two years right now to flex their muscles and posture and tell them to diminish his expectations. Well, they're not going to come out and say, well, whatever he wants, we like the kid. I mean, that's hardly good business. No, but they, um, as I say, they can say what they want right now. But when it gets two years from now and he go, he's about to go on the free agent market and he's your franchise and he's the guy you've built everything around and dollar figures have gone up and, you know... All of a sudden, forty million may not be quite so wacky anymore. I just, I, I'm trying to well, figure out where forty million's always, always going to be wacky. I, I'm not talking in you and I terms. I'm saying in the in bubble it, of professional sports, forty million in, in baseball, forty million for the stars by that point may not be. Uh, so remember when Alex Rodriguez signed? and He signed for what was it, twenty five or thirty million a season? It was twenty six million a year, and it was. Like, Ten years, it was, yeah, but it was dollars. miles more than the next guy was getting. Yeah. What I'm saying is, this may not be miles more. It might be a step again. The interesting thing about a kid that age, you said he'll be 26, eh? So if that takes him into being 36 years of age, I think if you're a team, you look at it and say, you know, this doesn't make any sense at 40 million dollars a year, but. In five years, there'll be guys not as good as him, maybe getting $45 million a year. So are you hedging your bet as is, is outlandish as it might seem? And he's only he would only, and I say only, he only would only be, 30 be 36. Years old. No, yeah, okay, but 36. It, what I'm saying, in four years from now, oh. when some of the guys might be getting 40 $45 million, he's going to sit there and go, I better renegotiate here. See, the difference is when you're looking at Joey Bats, and he wants – you know, $25 million a year. He's, what, 37 now? Yep. So do you want to pay a guy when he's 37? The days of paying guys anymore for what they've done in the past seemingly are over. Yeah, he's a diminishing asset right now. He's a diminishing asset. So the last year you're going to be paying him, whatever you paying him, it should be $2 million a year. So you're going to have to figure what the best three years are. Here's the thing that, sh- that just is shocking to me, though, and, and I'm even though, as I say, I – I understand that sports operates in its own universe. We, we can't compare sports salaries to your salary, my salary, Luke's salary. We, we don't live. It's like we're in a different time-space continuum. 
Yep. It's not even, there's no sense even comparing because we're not talking apples and oranges. They live in a world where a crappy player, relatively speaking, is going to make four or five million dollars a year. The Jays signed a guy today for 12 million, 12 and a half million over two years that I defy anybody but die, die, die hard baseball fans to tell them anything about. This is a nobody, essentially, in the grand scheme of things, and he's getting $6.25 million a year. It's a different world. But back in 1977, when the Blue Jays were purchased as an expansion team, the entire franchise cost $7 million. If Bryce Harper gets this salary, he will make that in one month of play. He'll make as much as it costs to buy the Blue Jays in one month, even if he's on the disabled list, <laughs> which is staggering. It's it, You just wonder how high, how far, how ridiculous the salaries can go in professional sports. And I don't know if there's a limit. I don't know if there's a, a ceiling. Well, the uh, Rodgers group certainly want everybody to believe that the money is in live sports when you want to sell advertising because you can PVR everything and you can skip through the commercials. You can't do it with live sports. So that money train, I don't think, is going to dry up anytime soon. And the NFL is, is way down in in, uh, in ratings. I mean, And the NFL is, is the untouchable. It's the Everybody Teflon. Everybody said it was bulletproof, yeah. yeah. And maybe this is an off year. Maybe this is a one-year thing. Maybe the election cut into it. And maybe Colin Kaepernick and all these things we'll see next year. But uh, he didn't vote, eh? No, I know. We thought you should have been here Friday. Um, yes, we were chatting about that, whether or not he should be allowed to speak when he doesn't vote. But anyway, that's Can't a different speak. story. You don't get to say. But what do you do? What do you do? Where does where does sports go? What, how high do you think it could possibly go? Like, wh- what's going to be the point, or or not even the point? Not even I'm not asking for a dollar amount, but surely there has to be at some point the fulcrum on this teeter totter tips you pass that point of the middle where you can't possibly continue to go up anymore when does that happen i think that and i'm talking for all of money in sports not just for individual salaries when the big pot of money keeps going up when does Uh, that change i think that changes when leagues have board of governors meetings and the successful teams sit down and say i am not paying a player more than the franchise makes and I think that's the tipping thing. I think if the owners sit back and say, now this is really... You're saying the not- successful franchises or yep. the not successful no, ones? Well, the successful ones because some of the franchises break even. Uh, not many. I mean, there's teams in the National Hockey League that are like Florida. I don't think they're in the black yet. So if you use the Florida Panthers as, as that bar, they all get paid more than the owner because the owner's losing $5 million a year or $20 million a year and he chose to to go that road because he wants to be in the exclusive club of the National Hockey League. But if you take the medium-sized franchises like like the Edmonton Oilers, for example, I, I don't think Daryl Cates is rich because he wants to pay people more than he makes for owning his business. And I think the New York Yankees would be in the same boat. The New York Yankees, if they're making $100 million a year or whatever – obscene amount. The Yankees are a bad example. Pick a middle-of-the-road team. Pick the Detroit Tigers, for example. LH owns them. I'm and sure. he won't be around forever. No, but I'm sure LH is going to sit back and say, I don't care how much we pay a guy. No one is going to make more than I do because I own the franchise. I think that's the line in the sand. 
m- you know, maybe. And you, but I don't you know. Could, I got. I'm just guessing. No, and you could ask be, me to guess. You could be very well right. That that could very well be the point. I I the difficulty you're going to have is as long as you still have teams like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Los Angeles Dodgers or Texas Rangers. The Los Angeles Dodgers make something like two hundred and thirty million dollars a year on their local TV deal. So before you sell a seat. Before you sell a Dodgers cap, before you sell a cup of beer, before you sell a Dodger dog, they already have $230 million in the bank to pay salaries, to pay everything else. All the other stuff is... That's just TV. Nobody's bought a ticket. That's, I'm saying, no seats, no nothing. $230 million is your pot to begin with to start buying players. And Well, how is Kansas City or Pittsburgh or some of these small Milwaukee? There's no conceivable way. And I look at those ones and I think the only way this changes, the tipping point becomes... The Dodgers, even though they are in that, and Texas has a similar situation, New York has a similar situation, even though they have all that money, they are still only allowed to put nine guys on the field like everyone else. And once you've filled up all of your nine spots with guys making outrageous amounts of money, and you've put guys on the bench making outrageous amounts of money, and you filled your roster spots, there's only so many. Milwaukee is not going to pay that kind of money. So you'd better be you'd better be in the top twenty or thirty players in the league, or fifty maybe. The other thing that the owners may, if they ever regain consciousness at uh, <laughs> the same time, uh, a silly rule would be that no three players can make more than the bottom place team can afford as a payroll. That would be very interesting. Except the players union would say we'll never accept that, and you'll have a strike. And and I, I believe look. I, I believe wholeheartedly. What I just said makes no sense. No, I don't know why the players? Right? I believe wholeheartedly that while the players and the league have just announced a new was it five year settlement I think or a five year extension to the CBA, so there'll be another five year. The day is coming when we are heading for another strike because at some point the the owners are going to say, "We give. We yeah. can't. We can't keep doing this, and it will be Armageddon." Because the, when that day comes, I have to believe that the owners will say, if we're going to have another work stoppage, we're going to have one work stoppage. It may take three years to sort out, but we're going to have one. And we're going to bring in a salary cap, and we're going we're gonna to throw everything into the mix here, and let's get it all hashed out at once. That's rather what the than, NHL did, right? Rather than they doing said, we will two or three. forever. Yep. We're going to have a salary cap. And I think the players finally believe they were going to have a salary cap. And the salary cap has worked out quite nicely for the players, it seems. You know, the NHL... Because there's also a salary floor. It's a $4 billion business, the National Hockey League. When did anybody ever think the National Hockey League would be a $4 billion business? But it is now. And the tricky part will always be the fact that, let's say that that Bryce Harper, two years from now, gets $40 million a year. And it's three years after that that there was to be a strike. Well, he's got $120 million in the bank. He can afford to ride out a strike for a while. All the star players are going to be able to afford to ride out a strike. You've got to know that they have money guys saying, okay, you've got to put money away, and, and you, can, you can live with this. It's the guys, the poor, it's the poor, quote, quote, guys making $5 million a year who are going to have a tough time. Well, the, uh, I remember the last big strike in the National Hockey League, and you know this is going to happen at every level in every league. The guy, it's, the, it's the guys in the middle of the pack that never go back to work. Yeah, yeah. Right? Their their careers ultimately end for that strike. And 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 the and the mandate is always we have to do this for the ones that will follow us. 
Well, I've talked to some guys and they'll in the National the Hockey sword, League yeah. that careers were, in essence, ended over it. And they've said to me, I don't care about the kids coming up. I, I've got my family to take care of. There's always space for the super, super elite players. And I agree. Pay them all. They fill their boots up. And then once you've done that, though, then you will fill the roster with the low-end players. Who, and it's the middle guys, as you say, who get squeezed out. It's the guys that you would think should be making, based on ability, should be making four or five million a year that are making two point six million a year or two point nine million a year. Those are the guys that always get screwed because there isn't a sport alive that can survive without their superstars, and you have to pay them. And anybody that thinks the sport isn't excited about their superstars, superstars, isn't aware that Tiger Woods played in the Bahamas this weekend. Yeah, and he was okay. He was great at moments. He was bad at others. But boy, everybody talked about. I don't beat Mackenzie Hughes. Who is Dundas's new first millionaire after four great days in a row? Is he Dundas's first millionaire? A newest. There's got, oh, newest. I was going to say, there's got to be a few millionaires in Dundas. Oh, there's all kinds of them down there. I would hope I, so. I don't hang out with them. I hope they're all listening. I hope, I hope they all buy real McCoy tickets. <laughs> and lots of Lots them. of them. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In studio with Don Robertson from the Dundas Real McCoys, ComChoice Realty. In Dundas. Don, uh, yesterday's game, talking sports for this first hour. Uh, in yesterday's game with the Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid takes a bit of a nasty fall and crashes to the ice and bumps his chin on the ice and gets up kind of with his glove over his mouth, just making sure all of his chiclets are still there. But the spotter, the concussion spotter, I guess is who's in Toronto watching on TV, got him called off the ice so he had to go and have concussion protocol testing and he afterwards said what the heck I was fine you know I got up and I just touched my mouth to make sure my face was still attached but I was fine I wasn't nothing was wrong with me and the Oilers he was pretty miffed the Oilers were pretty miffed the fans were pretty miffed because this was during a five on three power play when a guy like Connor McDavid could potentially be impactful and they lose by a goal in the game with concussions being what they are, is this what you have to do regardless of the situation in the game, regardless of whether the guy says he's okay? Do you ha- And with the lawsuits and everything going on, is this the future that you are going to see anytime there's anything close, you're going to see a guy get yanked out for con- concussion testing just to keep the NHL and the owners protected? Apparently. And I, and I say the NHL and their owners. They would like me to say to protect the player, but we... I think we know why this is really happening. Yeah, it's partially to protect the player, but it's also to prevent against the massive lawsuit. Well, I, I, I think what one of the things that, uh, I mean, there's always lawsuits against leagues because of concussions, right? And I think, and I'm clearly not a lawyer, but if I'm a lawyer, I'm going to say, so now you're doing this, which proves the point that all the players in the past were never properly protected. Now you're protecting the guys of today, absolutely ignored the guys in the past, who you let play without helmets. Well, and I think their answer to that would be science and knowledge of concussion has changed, and so we now, with the knowledge we have, are doing what we can. I mean, I think that's, that may, that's a position that I think they could possibly defend, but the point is, whether it's for the protection now of the players, because you are truly concerned about the well-being of Connor McDavid, or whether it's so you can show in a court, if he ever were to sue you, that we did everything feasibly, everything humanly possible to protect this young man, is this what we're going to see now a lot? That anytime there's something close, we're going to see a guy get yanked off for testing. 
Well, like I said, apparently, I think it's absolutely silly. You don't think it's a good idea? No, not at all. Because uh, my thought process would be, you know, we're talking about Connor McDavid specifically. I don't think the NH, the, the Edmonton Oilers and or their training staff are ever going to screw around with him or anybody else. I know if one of our guys gets bumped a little bit, I the trainer goes to her, and as soon as she gives me the look, he's out. We're talking senior A, right? We're talking best amateur hockey in the world. But as soon as we think there could be an issue, we pull the guy. So are you telling me that you think if Connor McDavid had concussion symptoms, the trainer's going to look at the coach and say, eh, try him a couple shifts, see what happens. I don't think that happens. I think... The government's trying to get into our bedroom a little bit too much as far as the NHL and worrying about that kind of symptoms. I think you have to trust your teams and the physicians and the training staff who are, by all accounts, as good as anybody's in any sport. But ultimately, the training staff and the doctors are still at the mercy to some degree of the players because the players are going to be the ones to tell them that I got a knock on the head or that I... But they can tell. Because they're simple. Sometimes, yeah, they can, it's, 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 often they can, sometimes they can, but the players can also lie. And believe me, I've talked to, to people well, in, in, lie. The, who they want to play. They don't want to leave the ice. They don't well, want to leave the field. They're marginal guys. They don't want to get put out because they don't know when they're getting back put in and everything else. But the technology and, and, and the symptom identification now at that level is, and especially an elite guy. Why would you take a chance and let him go out there and run into one of his own guys? I mean, well, you've already got Sidney Crosby, who is prone, if not prone. I don't is, know what that means, but he's had a few of them. He's had a few. He's one or two away from having a problem. I mean, yep. as in being out for a long time potentially. I mean, he was out already for a long time. You don't want to lose your stars. And I look at this, and, and I guess the other part of this was I wondered if this was not Connor McDavid, would they have done this? Because as soon as this happened, I thought, is this because this is just the way we do it in the NHL now? Or is this because the NHL knows Sidney Crosby is has had this before and Connor McDavid is the face of the future? We want to make absolutely sure that he's not going to sit out for a year with concussion symptoms. And we are going to protect, we're going to put this guy in bubble wrap as much as we possibly can. And he already missed part of his rookie season with an injury. We're going to protect this guy if it kills us. The Connor McDavid factor may have entered into it. You would like to think the standards are exactly the same, but that would probably be foolhardy. Uh, but I, you know, I the standards should be the same for all of them because they're all going to have kids and everything else. And when you talk about players perhaps telling you what you want to hear, there's no better proof than if, if Sidney Crosby's a little bit concerned, he does not need to work another day in his life. Oh, it's not Sidney Crosby who's concerned. No, no, but he has enough money. Yeah, of course now. he does. So if he's personally concerned, he could just quit. But I'm saying it's not Sidney Crosby who's concerned. He wants to go out there and play. It would be yeah. the NHL that's concerned about losing Sidney Crosby again. Yeah, long term. But <sighs> if you're saying, Don, if you're saying, though, that you... We're would, trying to protect us from ourselves, then I think that's a bit overkill. If you're saying that it would be equal or you hope it would be equal for everyone, this is not a discussion about or a debate about fighting in hockey, but if it truly was equal for everyone... If you, when when Connor McDavid gets up and touches his chin because he bumped his his mouth, after a fight where a guy took a punch to the face, you would think they would then say, okay, guys, into the into the concussion protocol room. We're going to do a little test here yep. because you also took a blow to the head. Like every time a guy took a blow to the head of any kind, whether he's a fourth liner or a Connor McDavid, you would do this. Well, I don't see anybody after a fight being 
taken off the ice and, and you checked. have you have the computer I don't it'd be interesting to see how many players that's happened to this year where Toronto call and say pull him there's an awful lot of guys get smushed up against the end glass and I'll tell you when I refereed that end glass was like the glass in Buffalo it was very forgiving and it's not as forgiving now although they've come back to that because of concussions they used to be like stone walls but every time somebody gets drilled into the end of the rink, you would think that guy has to come off. If they're watching it on TV and that's where they're making their call, it would be interesting to see how many guys they've pulled off and sent them through the, uh, sent them to the quiet room. I'll bet you, if it's you're probably right. There's probably an awful lot of players. If the same thing would have happened, they, he's fine. Tom, shake it off. And it may not even, to be fair, it may not even be that they're making that determination. It may simply be that Connor McDavid, because he's such a focal point of the game that the camera is on him all the time, that if it had been Bobby whoever. Radley. Bobby Radley, the camera has already moved away from him when he fell down, so no one really notices that he is holding his face. And, and wobbles to the bench. And wobbles. So you don't even notice that necessarily. But because it's Connor McDavid, the camera's on him and you pick that up. There's a, there's a variety of different things that could be at play here. But I'm telling you, I'll be very interested to see what happens if you get into a game where the Oilers are in their in a fight for their playoff life or if they're in the playoffs and they've got a power play and Connor McDavid gets bumped over and someone says, yeah, you've got to come off for five minutes while your team has a power play and you're down by a goal or it's in overtime. I'd like to see what would happen if, if that was uh, Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals and it's a five-on-three and it's a tied game. And That's somebody, what I mean. If somebody makes that call and says, all right, we're taking the best player on the planet into the quiet room now and he's the only injury he's got is slapping the guy that's taking him down the hall because he said, I'm going to play. Well, and he's saying, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. And so, again, we can't, as much as you hate to say this, you can't believe players. Players lie. Not in a malicious way. Players players lie because they want to play the game. They don't want to come off. And so they're going to tell and you they're hockey fine. players, too. They're good. They, they can play through anything. That's the... Did you right? see the video? Did you see yeah, the video that was circling this week? There was a... Barry Trotz gets one off yep. the, right off the melon. There's a soccer coach in Italy, I think, somewhere, or, or France or wherever, <laughs> who gets hit in the head by a paper airplane and hits the ground like he's taken a bazooka shell to the melon. And he's writhing about, holding his head, and needs three men to lift him back to his feet. And they point, and you can see there's a paper airplane that grazed him. And then Barry Trotz, who was coaching, or was coaching Nashville, takes a snapshot that hits him in the forehead. Busts him open like a pinata. He's got now a giant welt and a gash in his head, and he's just wiping. He goes, oh, play on, play on. And it's like, it's not just the, I mean, the players are tough. The coaches are tough. They're never going to say, I'm hurt. They're never going to say, uh, unless they are out cold or not even able to move to the bench because they're wobbling and falling over. And we've seen that before. Then you know. But otherwise, they're never going to admit they're hurt. I got one off my mammoth melon up in Brantford in a playoff game, and I... You know, just bounce off the back of my head, and it, it was a snapshot. And I going, oh, so I the trainer comes looks. I said, I'm all right. So I had a white shirt, dress shirt on that night, and we were over the thing. It was all covered in blood. And they said, you got to get stitches. I said, I'm not going anywhere. Like I wouldn't want the players to quit. So then they were going to try and glue it up. I said, just open it up and see if you see anything in there. I'm fine. So the next day, I thought I'd go check out see if I need any stitches. And I went to a walk-in clinic, and the guy said, you did yesterday. <laughs> But I have, you know, I don't, I have still have some hair back there, so I fight through it, right? But you're right, it's just stupid. I mean, it's... But it's the way it is. It's the, and, and, and that may not be right either. 
that may not that may be something that needs to change for the health of these guys too that you need to protect them because they won't protect themselves sometimes I just don't that know that might be this, a little too much I, still, I just don't know in this case I still think you have to leave it up to the training staff and the coaches and the organization to not put their premier player and soon to be the premier player in the world if he hasn't arrived yet and somebody that pl- should have played two years of junior A in Hamilton that's a story for another day in major A uh, the OHL but Leave them alone. Trust the teams not to screw up their golden goose. Just before we go to break, Frank just sent an email saying, how can we never hear the call charging in hockey anymore? I can't remember the last time somebody was actually called for charging. Because uh, because they call it hitting from behind. But the definition of charging was taking... More than three steps. More than three steps with the intention. Well, everybody, on every single pl- shift, there's 15 charging because you take you, two or three steps and you... You know what the rule is for high sticking? Anyone who carries, I haven't read the book since I quit refereeing, anybody carries their stick over the normal height of the shoulders. That w- that's high sticking. No contact. If you've got it up there, it's a penalty. Luke wants to jump in on this one. There was a Leafs game last week where Nazem Kadri was called for charging. Is that right? Well, there's your answer, Frank. I can't remember the last time somebody was called for charging. I just don't remember it, but there you go. It's uh, It still is out there. So is boarding. So is boarding. So are a lot of things. Clipping is still a, a penalty, apparently. Although, again, I you know now they call it slew footing, but uh, you know they change the calls, they change some of the hand signs, they do a bunch of the things. I I, I reft Don reft a lot more than me. I reft bits and pieces, and um, we we had a guy get a four minute minor in a game misconduct for slew footing in, in Thorold two weeks ago. I I just know that when I was refereeing, it's a good penalty. You can't kick a guy's skates out from no, underneath. He'll him. land on his head. But I remember when I was coaching and or refing, and I was refing kids. There were really only, because we allowed body checking back then, uh, and nobody seemed to drive each other through the boards. The only penalties we ever had were hooking and tripping, maybe cross-checking on a good day. Well, that's all little kids do. That's right. Though. Yeah. If you were too tired, you just trip the guy <laughs> and then go have a rest in the penalty box. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don, you, um, a couple of minutes ago, back in the previous segment where it mentioned Tiger Woods who had a uh, everybody was tuning in to watch Tiger Woods play I mean at least check if you're a if you're a sports fan especially if you're a golf fan but if you're a sports fan you at least knew he was playing and you wanted to see how he was doing but it got me thinking what in, in your mind what is the sport that best works on television so I tell you the one that's least while you're thinking about that the sport that least works on television, in my mind, the sport that is vastly different and monumentally better in real life than on television is hockey. Hockey is a way better sport to watch in person in a rink. You, you cannot, unlike a lot of the other sports, you cannot translate the speed of the game of hockey through the television. To, to watch a game on TV and then to sit in the rink and see how much faster it is when you're at the rink, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't translate as I use, as I say, but what does, what's the sport or, or sports in your mind that television makes way, way better than it would be by being there? Women's beach volleyball. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that said, I haven't seen it live. <laughs> You're just saying in general, women's beach volleyball would be up there. Well, I bet if we pull everybody, I win. <laughs> But if we're not going to use that as a 
as a mainstream sport. It's only on every and, four years. See, see I, 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 as crazy as I am some nights, Susan's at a martini bar in Burlington with a couple girlfriends, and I know she's not listening, so I'm just hoping nobody else tells <laughs> this her. This is the I week do. you can say all the stuff. That's what I can do when I want. The I, I think, because I've been, I've been to live beach volleyball, like I said, women's, um, to NFL games, and I've been in Buffalo, and I've been in San Diego and Detroit, and it's the sport that when I used to go traveling with guys and we went golfing, it would always include an NFL game, which was cool. So I would say the NFL is far better on TV than it is live. A lot of breaks. A lot of breaks. It's boring. Um, my dad, who was not a big sports guy other than ran some hockey teams, used to call football, and he said, I don't understand it. It's one, two, three, hop, and they all fall down. And <laughs> Like, that's what he took away from it. And they can at least do replays and show you stuff you can't see. You can appreciate the guy that jumps in the air and, and dub, does a double uh, sow cow and puts one hand up when he's covered by three and pulls the ball down. You can't get the real appreciation for that at the speed it happens at a game. And they really dress that thing up. I think that's the sport that they put the lipstick on the pig every night. Yeah, I think basketball also is better in person as long as you are of in reasonable seats. You, reasonable. you want to be in the lower bowl. Yeah, if you've got reasonable seats, basketball is a bit, way better. But I'll tell you, I mentioned Tiger Woods because honestly, I think that the way they have done golf now, golf is, I love being out on a golf course watching. Uh, I love when the Canadian Open comes to Hamilton or comes to Glen Abbey because it's, un, it's amazing to see what these guys can do in real life, but... When you're there, there is a lot of walking for a shot, and and then a lot of walking for another shot. If you're a fan, yeah. And you whereas don't, on TV, you don't get the premier walks. No, and whereas on TV, it's just we're going from here to here to here to here. It's shot, 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 shot. You can you can just keep up with everybody who's going. I think I think they've they figured that one out. Baseball, I think, is better on TV a lot of the time, unless again you have great seats because the 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 thing that TV can never capture. And I said it with hockey, TV speed. can never capture speed. Yep. And many years ago, back in 2000 and I don't know what year, Luke will know the answer to this, when the Bulldogs were playing against Houston in the semifinals of the American Hockey League, and it was Game 7 down in Houston, 2007 maybe, I think it was. No, that was the year they won. Anyway, and I was down in Houston covering the game, and there was a day off, and we went to a game, a Houston Astros game. And R.A. Dickey was pitching for the New York Mets back then when his knuckleball was still a dancing. thing. And I was sitting in about the 10th row, got tickets behind home plate. And I'll tell you what, again, doesn't translate. You can't on TV figure out why guys can't hit R.A. Dickey's pitch because it doesn't look like it's doing anything. Well, because it's slow and you can't, you can't see. But even you can't even tell the movement. Like you can't figure out why can Russell Martin, a professional catcher. I mean, the job title is catcher. The, yeah. word, the root of the word is catch. Why can he not catch this ball? And it doesn't look like it's doing anything on TV. You see that in real life. And that ball, when you're sitting behind home plate, I don't know how anyone catches it once. It dances. It's everywhere. 2010, the answer is. That ball was everywhere. And you realize, you know what? This is why we watch sports in real life. Because it doesn't... Some sports will. And I just thought of that. Because the Tiger Woods thing, I thought that... Yeah, it would be fun to walk with Tiger Woods. You know what would be really cool is go to the Masters. You know who's in the Masters this year? Mackenzie Hughes. Everybody in this area, I think, will be watching the Masters this year if they weren't already, at least tuning in to check it out. That's the start of spring. 
when the Masters is on, Spring's here. Yes, I think you're right. I was trying to think if there's anything else that marks the start of spring, and there's nothing that we can say on the air. So, <laughs> so I can. Not tonight. <laughs> oh, only tonight. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.